Welcome to another edition of Weezy in House. This episode explores damage Nuri Martinez has wrought on the unhoused in her area. Um, my husband, because he is Mexican descent, they also look at his face and stuff because he has tattoos. They uh, they have accused him of being gang affiliated. They have quite literally put my husband in handcuffs and was accusing him of beating me, which was not true. Speaking with people that were affected by the Sepulveda Basin, as well as in other areas in Chatsworth, we're going to really get down into the nitty gritty of what these policies of balance and compassion or the law and order stance that Nuri Martinez espouses. A recent article from the Los Angeles Times by the writer Emily Alpert Reyes highlights Nuri's stance. Her platform is Families First. What does that platform mean? Well, from what I gathered from my investigation is the first glance of her, she's in this white or pastel gray outfit, and it shows that she's some kind of holy martyr standing in front of a helm willing to go eight to seven, contesting against the treatment of the unhoused. Her duplicitous style is that she could souls herself as she is compassionate. She shows pictures of a unhoused person being rescued when there's fires and floods, but she's also a balance of law and order. Have we heard that term before? I believe we have. In Steve Lopez's article, police officer Gracie was stating that too, she believes in law and order. That means criminalizing, ticketing, and citing unhoused people, as well as putting them in jail if they fall afoul of civil laws. She uses the explanation that she is trying to make these kids safe from unhoused criminals. Who is a criminal? There is a very good question. Unhoused people trying to survive. Her platform, her secret platform, is to criminalize them. They have to walk the sidewalks. They have to be accessible. And they tend to be down. To date, Martin versus Boise has stated that it is cruel and unusual punishment to criminalize unhoused people. It is also further added that when it went up to the Supreme Court, they refused to hear the amicus briefs that the city has tried to file in retaliation against the unhoused. So she took matters in her own hands. Listening to the hostility that is President Trump, his presidency has heralded and stated that they will offer help, but with conditions such as putting unhoused in deserts or forced internment camps. If there is any indication as how they're treating the immigrant children in some of those places and ICE has definitely done, that is where we will be going. Nuri Martinez pretends to be compassionate, but she wasn't compassionate at least last week when I talked with some of the residents that in these places that is her district. She is a liar, and her message echoes the Nazi-era internment camp. She says she's from a working-class family. Well, I am too, and many unhoused people are too. But she has differentiates from worthy unhoused people and unworthy unhoused people, and she makes sure she pushes that platform. Her press agent and her press manager has prepped her to make it sound like she's compassionate but tough, tough on crime. That platform has got us nowhere but an overbloated budget, overrun costs, and exponential coddling of police officers and law enforcement who are out here that are not a help to unhoused people, but they are the terrorists. 
dollars. There is no true accountability to be had with the law enforcement or park rangers or any other staff business improvement district because she is in alignment with them. She wants them to terrorize and house people. She wants them to throw away their belongings. She wants them to have the gentleman, Jason, who has broken his leg in several places and requires immediate surgery to crawl on his behind to put down a tent because she believes in law and order. I call on the residents of Los Angeles, especially in her district. We are approaching one of the most important civil rights issues of our time. And if we do not act against the illegal actions that is crouched in pretty language by Nuri Martinez, if we don't go to the United Nations, if we do not break down the door to FBI to launch an investigation of the civil rights abuses, if we don't get the ACLU, we don't get our lawyers armed to stand against this tyranny, then we will watch the new Holocaust arrive before our own eyes. This is Theo Henderson of Weedy Unhoused. Please enjoy this episode. Gavin Newsom announced that FEMA trailers are to be distributed to unhoused people in California near remote locations such as desert, away from the population and services that they require. Missing unhoused family last seen in California. If you know of a whereabouts, please contact the family at area code 813 Calcifer is five years old and Aluna is four years old. And their mother, Niasi, N-I-A-S-Y Dunbar, was last seen by a man called Josh, who she befriended, who convinced her to leave her loving family. The family is deeply concerned. Information reached an alarming turn when it was discovered that Nia's car was towed in California due to the sleeping bag. The children have chronic asthma and have received a letter cutting off Medicare due to noncompliance. If you know of anything and if you've seen them last, please contact the family at 813-696-8229. Calcifer has a long, bushy afro or cornrows. He has a very visible balding birthmark. A lunar hair could be braided long or it could be cut short. In other news, Mitch O'Farrell, council member of Echo Park, ordered a weak ban of unhoused people in Echo Park. Several lies were told to escape possibility of the action. An investigative reporter found that, that there was a letter sent stating and spoken about that they were attempting to uh, remove unhoused people permanently. Activists came to the defense of the unhoused. After forcing blame on Nike, a letter was also found dated January 14, 2020, stated that park pictures hereby would like to confirm that this group of unhoused residents and their presence will in no way impact our filming activities, as we are located in a completely location, different location of the park. Park pictures furthermore request that you do not force remove the unhoused people in the park in the area that they are in. In fact, further investigations have found that there are certain council members, Nuri Martinez, Paul Coretz, and David Blumenfield, have several different disagreements against treating unhoused people with concern. Unhoused News has found that in some of the records that council member is quoting as saying, I don't know that we're as concerned about the outreach element. 
But if our primary mission is to create a strong sanitation program, it has to take a somewhat of a back seat. After getting rid of CARE, on Tuesday, they will be responding, dismantling, or continuing to support CARE. It's these thought processes which have emboldened police, business improvement, and district security against unhoused people. A news report shows sweeps of unhoused people in camps in California have aggravated key health issues. In other unhoused news, Moms for Housing loses their court case and must vacate Oakland home, which they did through to an AR-15 military tank and a storm of military-occupied forest presence for four women and children. And the LA Times has wrote that LAPD have wrote completely false reports of people that are being portrayed as gang members and falsified records. Last week, Victor Valencia and our unhoused man of Venice was shot and killed by the police as a result of a mental episode. Information is ongoing. Right now I'm in North Hollywood interviewing Arlene who is in a baseball field park and she's going to tell us a little bit about her story. So let's welcome Arlene. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, what I want to know is, uh, can you tell me just a little bit, how did you end up living in your vehicle? We came here from Texas, and we were unable to get housing due to my husband's situation and his uh, jacket that he has on is not a very nice jacket from his past. Mm -hmm. So we're really rough about trying to get in housing. We found more complications with dealing with his background than anything, and then on top of it, there's not much housing out for anybody. That's glad, I'm glad you said that because you don't, um, because many of the listeners are not schooled and unhoused. Um, I don't have housing and I don't have a jacket, and so it's hard for everybody. And just that's even one more obstacle for unhoused people. I'm glad you said that. So it is very difficult. So, how long have you been out here? Almost three years. Oh, wow. When you first came, uh, what part of Texas were you from? Because I was out in Houston for a little bit. What was? <laughs> Unfortun unfortunately, we were also in Houston, Texas. That's where my husband's from. Oh, okay. So, uh, so uh, unfortunately, uh, so you got out here. When you came out here, did you find it easier to get services here than uh, Texas, or what? No, it was really rough for me because I have health issues with my immune system mm -hmm. that is very hard and complicated to get linked up to that kind of care. Mm. So that answers the question that many people run to always say that people come here for, uh, for services in California, which is not true because it was harder. So one other question that I want to ask you is, is that when you've been out here, um, have any services been offered to you to get help? Yes, there's been housing services, but as soon as we go to have them to places, it comes back again with my husband's jacket and stuff, and he don't you know, want us to separate, because at this point in time, I am 100% have to rely on him. Because uh, you have uh, disabilities. I noticed you have a wheelchair here, so it makes mobility very difficult, and also you need to rely on, and which is a realistic concern. One is because uh, many couples, a married husband and wife, couples don't want to separate. Some of the uh, shelters offer that, and that means you're splitting up the family. And second of all, when you have a spouse or a significant other that has needs uh, care or specialized care, many shelters don't offer that specialized care. Do you see yourself getting out of the situation soon? Yes, we are planning on trying to rent a place with not just my husband. There's five of us. Mm -hmm. 
there's two small children and another female who's my best friend. So we're all looking to try to get into affordable housing so that way we can all five get off the streets. That is excellent. That's wonderful. Um, so you're, you guys, one thing I noticed about the unhoused community, I could say, is we always try to look out for each other. Conversely, then these social services and our council members who always love to vilify us. So what do you think about how they blame us for all of the society ills? And have you received any harassment? Yes, we have been harassed um, by my husband because he is Mexican descent. They also look at his face and stuff because he has tattoos. They, uh, they have accused him of being gang affiliated. They have quite literally put my husband in handcuffs and was accusing him of beating me, which was not true. So, yeah, due to that, and then the park rangers at another park that we was at were really not nice. They told us we had five minutes to get out their face, otherwise they were calling the tow truck to tow us. It's just rough all the way around. It's If you don't run into idiots and people who don't understand you, you run into the cops who are supposed to actually have some kind of help with trying to see why, y'all, why we were out here and everything. It just doesn't exist. I totally agree. I have had several run-ins with the park rangers myself um, at the park that I'm at and police officers. I had this naive version as well that the police would be my friend, they would help me, they would listen to reason. But a lot of times when people are calling, because they've told me I was a monster, I was going to attack old people, kids, um, I was dangerous. So it seems like that is a common recurring thing with all unhoused people, that we are always seeing like we're a threat to children, uh, elderly, or, or other people. Even you said your uh, husband was considered a, a violent against you, which was not the case. So, um, uh, how long have you been disabled? Since I was 19. I'm sorry, uh, would you like to tell us how that happened, if you don't mind? Um, sure, I don't have no problem. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I was pregnant with my second child. At that time, I found out I was HIV positive. Okay. My um, husband, who had AIDS at the time, did not tell me that he had AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, the state that I was diagnosed in is considered uh, murder, mm-hmm. which is in Louisiana. Right. And he could have went to prison for the rest of his whole entire life. He has since passed away. He has succumbed to the illnesses and stuff that come along with AIDS. Um, my husband knows. My best friend knows. They both take turns during the day taking care of me. Since before we got here, right... During Hurricane Harvey, we, um, my back ended up with a pinched nerve. Mm-hmm. So that's what first put me in a wheelchair. And then my ankles started swelling so bad that I couldn't even walk. Mm-hmm. And now my legs don't want to work like everybody else's legs. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard because I'm a go-getter. You know, I go and I do what I can. And, and it's just hard. It's put a lot of limits on me. So I'm like really, you know, in a place to where the care is necessary. I agree. And thank you for t- telling the time to uh, giving us your story. It's a very powerful and um, touching thing that I know many people don't know. I also want to ask, do you have any children? Yes, I do. I have seven lovely, beautiful children, and I have six gorgeous grandbabies. Uh, That's wonderful. Now, I wanted to ask you, because there are always people, uh, ignorant people, that always says, like, 
good they've told me because I have uh, uh, disabilities myself, but it's not as obvious, is why don't you just find a job? You don't want to get help, or you, uh, why did you have these many kids if you knew you had this problem? So why do you think that they say that, and what would you say to respond to that? It's totally ignorance because somebody with a disability that you cannot see, they don't know exactly how that disability enables you to do what you need to do to support yourself. Sometimes it's just the ignorance of the community. And then too, when you go apply for a job, they ask you if you have any disabilities. You have to tell them. And then once you do, they will say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. Mm -hmm. um, you must go look other places for work. If you even go through like a Goodwill program, you still can't get help. And they're the ones that tell you, hey, we, we, we employ everybody. I can't even say what I want to say. I understand. I had that same very issue, that when, especially when I got stabbed and I had lost uh, part of my stomach and colon and things like that, and I couldn't walk. And I kept hearing people say, well, you know, you like to be out here. You don't want to get help or you don't want to get a job. And I says, you know what, they're going to find out that there's a problem if I go to this job. And then, one, I'm unhoused. I got fired one of the jobs because they found out I was unhoused. And then, second, they, uh, they, I'm going to lose the job because when they find out I'm disabled, because this, I'm a liability, and, and many people feel that way. They're not going to just hire unhoused people or people that are uh, are have these disabilities that feel like they're going to be sued or feel like that they have to have accommodations for unhoused people. So I'm I'm so very glad that you pointed this point out. So if you could educate people from, let's say, for example, children or people that needs to hear about the situation about unhoused people, what would your message be? It's like, we're all human. We're no different than anybody else. Somebody that's got a job that's paying $22,000 a month or even $22,000 a year can end up in a situation because it's not just limited to the disabled, to the people that have mental issues or, or somebody that just don't want the help. It could be, anybody can end up in this situation at all. And how, you know, how we look at it is like, we're not houseless. We're, ho we're not homeless. We're houseless. Yes. And, uh, and a lot of people don't understand that because they say, well, if you're houseless, you're still homeless. No. With some of us, our attitudes are more positive and thanks of the situation we're in and, and try to cope with it better than saying, oh, yeah, we're homeless. We don't care. That's not true. We do care. We, we take every day in stride. We take every day to try to find new resources, every day to find some place or somebody that actually a step up and give us a hand up, not a hand down. So that's, you raise a very good point that what I hear people, there's argument even on Twitter where some people that want to use the term homeless to get his power back. I use unhoused because, and houseless as well, it's because every time, every time I've heard that when the police are called or when people come up to me, it's used with contempt. It's used with such hatred. Um, I've heard that I was heard as uh, my, my friends uh, at the park, who's the director, she stated that she doesn't 
doesn't like the term hobo. Uh, he used to describe me. And I was very touched that she said that because it really shows me that she sees me as a human being. And that's the thing that I want other people to understand. When you use that term homeless, it's because you're trying to objectify or you're trying to detach the humanity to us. I am unhoused. I still have my dignity. I still have my intelligence. I still have my kindness. I'm still the same person I was when I was ahead of house. And I wanted to be treated as a human being, not as a transient, a vagrant, a hobo, or, or the number. That's that's exactly it. So I um, I wanted to say that if you have given me a very good uh, um, a good good interview, can I come back and follow up with you? Sure, anytime. We're usually here. If we're not here, you will notice that. Um, we have shade set up because I do have two small children that come out during the day and okay. spend the day with me. Um, the blankets are up to keep the sun away yeah. from the babies. Yeah, so if we're not here, the blankets are gone. Mm -hmm. And of course my church comes because I'm using it. Mm -hmm. But most of the time we are here at, at all, at least I am. Thank you very much. I wanted to say maybe one day I'll have uh, come by again and see if they if they're because we have lawyers and things like that. If they can see if they can help you guys um, to see if you can get any housing or anything else. Uh, we're trying to create a network of unhoused people to help us as well. So sometimes the social services are not adequate or just indifferent as well as the city council member, Dorit Martinez, Mitch O'Farrell, uh, and Bloomingfield. These are the people that are, are, are the terrorists to unhoused people. Again, this is Theo Henderson from We The Unhoused, and I thank you for your time, and thank you for your kindness for uh, giving me a chance to hear your story. I'm again still out here in North Hollywood Valley Plaza Sports Complex. I'm interviewed Mar Marlene, and I'm interviewing now her husband, Raymond Ligas. Raymond Ligas. And we're going to have hear his uh, part of his uh, incredible journey. So let's just start, uh, start off with some basic softball questions. So how long have you been unhoused? Been unhoused since I was 15. Okay. How did you become unhoused when you said you were 15? Well, I ran away. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, is there a particular reason why you ran away? Well, because I was beat. Or actually, I would say I was like mis beaten all that abused. when I was a yeah I was abused when I was a kid okay he ran because of child abuse from his parents yes. and so what did you do how did you survive well I learned how to hustle I learned how to get out there and I was in, involved with the gangs and stuff like that and I've seen some stuff that I shouldn't have been seen at 15 years old mm -hmm. I've seen I've seen young ladies get raped I've seen young ladies get stabbed I've seen uh, people get beat i've seen people get shot i've seen all of that at 15. that's incredible and it's a very tragic and sad yes. so what made you turn your life around because i've noticed that you are very i've observed you as being a very caring family man and very gregarious um what caused this change because i you not sound like you were still behaving like you were 15. well because since i met miss merlene my wife mm -hmm. i've i've uh I've seen, I'm a church going person now. I've, I've, you know what I'm saying, wanted a family. And, you know, now, now I see how it is, you know, cause I, even at 15 years old, I've seen, I've seen families and I'm like, you know what, one day I want to be there. So look who I am now. I'm 38 years old. I have two wonderful stepkids. I have actually, I have a total of 11 stepkids. 
and or no wait take that back 12 and you know and i've been wanting to be a family man and now i am yeah that's awesome. Uh, many people could not do and uh, have a life and try to turn their life around. Uh, what made you change that from from being uh, what you were to what you now? Because it had to be something. Well, like I said, I've I've changed my life because I've started going to church. I've changed. I've I've turned my life to God now, and I see what God can do for people. And I, at first, like I said, I left him. I, I knew who God was. Okay, I knew who God was. But I'm like, you know what? No, I want to go ahead and do my thing and do what I want to do. And then and then I realized once you change, you come back to God, God can do a lot of things for you. Very well said. Um, now, I want to talk to you a little bit more on the secular part. Like, okay. for example, um, how is it, how were you treated out here? Did the law enforcement or police bother you guys or bother you? Um, because your wife told me a story, and I want to hear it in your own words. So take your time and tell me what's happening with you. Uh, you're being out here with law enforcement and uh, the harassment that you get. Okay. Well, before, you know, they started harassing me at the other park that we was at. What park was that? That was uh, Alexandria Park over there by the theater. The theater. Okay, well, anyway, what started it off was because I have gang, I'm gang, they still consider me gang affiliated because of the tattoos on my face. And I kept on getting harassed. And I'm like, you know, I'm asking them, why are you harassing me? I want to point out something, too. Los Angeles Times just found an article that the L.A. cops have been responsible for falsifying and lying a lot about people that have been were gang-affiliated. This is one of the casualties of that. So you hear from his own words. Yes. And because, like I said, and then when, when, when we left that park, then they followed us over here, and they were harassing me still over here. So my wife, you know what I'm saying, what my wife did, she, she stood up to him and said, what, why are you harassing my husband is because he's Mexican and, and, and considered gang affiliated and they like no no he's not no he's not bull crap you know what I'm saying they keep on harassing me for it and then finally when my uh, wife brought it up to their attention then they stopped Excellent. It's always great to have someone to advocate and stand up for you when you cannot. And, and this is uh, one of the benefits of being unhoused. We are a close-knit community, and we look out for each other, even though this, our society and our community members should be doing that instead of trying to incarcerate or the police lie on people to try to get them in jail. Yeah. So um, uh, have you had any challenges from uh, active gang members that think that you are a gang member and you're not? Uh, yes, I have. There's one time, like, before, you know, like, when me and my wife sits out here, they won't they won't approach me. But when my wife is not sitting out here, I've had, like, a couple of them come up to me, like, what, where are you from? What do you claim? And all this. And I tell them, no, I don't claim nothing. I, I ride by myself. I don't, you know, and then they ask me, do you want to fight? And I tell them, no, I don't want to fight. I'm good. And then they'll walk on. So that's it's, that's another reality that you have to doubt as the unhoused that you guys live in your vehicles that you deal with police harassment that you deal with harassment with active gang members and then you have to how uh, how do you guys restore your energy and be able to keep a positive outlook? Well, we just you know we think about you know what we need to do. We think about our families, you know, and what positive. I just I don't. When I see gang affiliate, uh, when I see gang members, I just like okay, that's you know that's them. I'll stay away from them, and that's it. 
one of the things I wanted to do is that we talked about the police harassment, we talked about gang active gang members, and we talked about uh, life living and from it. What would you wish people to know about? unhoused people, people like us, because I'm unhoused too, I live in the park, and I have different things I want to say, but what do you want to say that people that says that unhoused people are criminals, violent, a danger to kids, um, uh, that just, uh, they pull out property values, or if your neighbors are yelling and screaming at you, or doing vigilante things, what would you say to them? What is your message for them? My message is, well, keep your head up, pray to God every day, um, go to church if you can and you know and just just leave your hands leave your head you know leave it into God's hands okay now the second thing is what would your message to the people that are bothering unhoused people that are just minding their business and trying to survive what would your message would be um, well just stay away from the people that that harassing you stay away from the people try to stay away from the people that 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 is uh, negative you know what I'm saying that's negative you just always think positive but what if it's difficult if you are lodging in the park and these people are coming to you so what message would you get people that are harassing people like for example what would that message if I was harassing you what would you have to, to tell them to stop bothering people that are bothering you or your wife well, I would tell them, hey, look, man, I don't want nothing to do with you. If you're thinking negative, stay away from my family because you're always thinking negative. And, you know, there's always a positive thing in there. You know what I'm saying? If you don't think positive, you're always thinking negative, then, you know, it's, it's, it's that's on you. You know what I'm saying? So just stay away. That's exactly. So uh, Nuri Martinez runs this area, and she's been targeting and throwing out unhoused people with the lie that she cares and not offering any services to help them to get on their feet. Um, there's disabled people that she's displaced. There's a 60-year-old man that uh, they, no one offered him a housing voucher. No one offered him a motel voucher. They just threw him like he was unwanted trash. And then they have used the same police that lies about gang affiliation and has been uh, connected, close to connected with the business owners and the Los Angeles Sanitation Department to continue their harassment campaign. In retaliation through the Martin versus Boise thing, uh, they are still targeting them. Um, so what is your message to her? Because she obviously has the power to uh, try to get you to put you into a concentration camp or put you in jail. What would you say to her to, to maybe to stop that? Well, I would tell her, hey, look, we're trying everything that we can. We need we need just for her to take care of us. She needs to do what she says she's going to do. Mm -hmm. If she don't do what she says she's going to do, then somebody needs to step into her place and do what they, you know what I'm saying, and do that. Yeah. But if she don't do it, then she needs to be kicked out. I agree. Well said. And on that note, I wanted to leave that message to Nuri Martinez. I've told you before on the phone, your time's up. Because if you think that you're going to continue to harass unhoused people and put them in jail, we are coming for you the most every legal way we possibly can. We won't do the criminal things that you're doing, but we're going to do it as legal as possible as much as to send a message to any other council member that has the idea that these sweeps and these abuses to unhoused people is acceptable. This is Theo Henderson from Weezy Unhoused. I thank you, uh, and I thank you all for listening. And may we all again meet in the light of understanding. Welcome to another episode of Weezy Unhoused. I'm speaking to a potential council member running 
for against David Rue's office. And what uh, district is that in? It's District 4. District 4. Her name is Nithya Raman. And I have, she's been gracious enough to stop by. Oh, thank you. Uh, stop by to give me a bit of her time to uh, ask her, answer a few questions. She was here for the record last week, and we got our times and wires crossed. <laughs> so she is also, so she has been gracious enough to come back. I'm not coming back. He's not coming. So I promised I was going to be here earlier to beat her, so make sure we would not get our wires crossed this time. Um, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh. So I will just basically just start you off with some softball questions. Uh, give a little brief explanation on the office you're running for and why you should run. Um, so I'm running for city council in District 4. Um, it's a district that goes all the way from Silver Lake to Sherman Oaks. It's enormous, uh, and it covers a huge part of the city. Our district has had a, a pretty big increase in homelessness since uh, the incumbent has been in office. Actually, um, last year our homeless population went up by 53%, which was the highest uh, increase in the entire city. And I'm running for this seat um, in large part because I um, ran a, started and helped run a homeless coalition in my neighborhood called SELA, mm -hmm. which serves um, residents who are experiencing homelessness in an area of the city that stretches from Los Feliz all the way down to Cypress Park. We visit a lot of encampments near the river. Um, and we started out as a group of neighbors, house neighbors, who saw an increasing number of people experiencing homelessness on, living on the streets in our own neighborhoods. And we wanted to do something to help. And so we started by talking to people. Um, we, walk, we would meet up and uh, walk around from encampment to encampment. We used to bring bottles of water and breakfast bars and hard-boiled eggs or anything we had. Um, and just say hello, introduce ourselves, and get to know people in our neighborhood who are experiencing homelessness. And what we learned when we started doing this work was that in our neighborhood, which uh, unlike places like Skid Row or Hollywood, um, once people were experiencing homelessness, it was almost impossible to find the resources you needed to get to start your journey off of the street. Um, there was no case managers that you could walk into. There was no shelter beds you could walk into. There was no, not even a bathroom you were welcome to use. There was not a shower. There was not, um, there was not anything that you would need, uh, not just to start your journey off the street, but to live your life with any kind of dignity. Um, and so we found that very upsetting. Uh, and um, we advocated for a drop-in center to be located in our in our neighborhood. We went to the city and county um, and asked to meet with city council members to, to advocate for this. And we put together a report with a bunch of locations showing where a drop-in center could be located in the neighborhood. And they basically ignored us. Um, and so finally we did it ourselves. We raised money through applying for grants and holding fundraisers. We partnered with a local church that lent us their space. Um, and we have a one day a week access center, which has now grown, where we had showers, where we had a case manager coming in regularly, um, where we had hot meal, we showed a movie, and we actually drove, we rented a van every week and drove around in a van and picked people up um, from their encampments. Uh, from their homes, took them to the church, and then dropped them off afterwards. And um, 
and it was a you know it was it was it was a great moment to be able to see that access in our even if it was just one day a week initially come to life, and I started to think that if people who were in elected office felt the same level of urgency and focus on not just homelessness but the broader housing crisis that is changing LA that I did and that my fellow volunteers did in, in SELA that we would have a very different response to homelessness in LA today. Um, and that if more people spent time talking with people who are experiencing homelessness and shaping responses in accordance with their needs, that we would have a very different system ahead of us. Very well put. Uh, and this kind of leapfrogs into my next question. As an unhoused member of this community, um, recently I have become dismayed when I've heard Nuri Martinez, Paul Kokorian, and Mitchell Farrell has instituted some retaliatory sweeps soon, very soon after the Martin versus Boise ruling. Um, for the listeners in the audience, Martin versus Boise was a Ninth Circuit Court ruling that made it crim- uh, unconstitutional for unhoused to be criminalized for sleeping out in the sidewalks or parks. Um, they s- stated it was cruel and unusual punishment until there was adequate shelters and services that was needed for people to get back on their feet. As you recently heard that that is not the case. However, Councilwoman Martinez has gone on record saying she is from the working poor and embraces law and order on unhoused people, insinuating that the unhoused are unworthy poor. What is your stance on that kind of statement and the unhoused vigilantism that goes on basically from this kind of statements? So. I think our council, our city council, um, because of their failure to take action to provide the kinds of resources that people need, uh, to provide adequate numbers of shelter beds and housing units, um, to provide um, uh, to provide to create a system through which people can access the resources that they need, we have created a system right now in Los Angeles where politicians it, essentially we're 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 pitting unhoused residents and housed residents against each other you know and and because of their inaction and i i believe i know that if we work to put services in place to build housing or to make housing available, to make shelter beds available, that we can we can have a system where people who are experiencing vulnerability or experiencing homelessness can, can have support in a compassionate manner. Um, and what has happened right now is that people are facing with the negative impacts are facing the negative impacts of the city's failure to to provide those kinds of services. And I think we blame unhoused residents for something that we should really be blaming government officials for. (laughs) I agree completely. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about is that what I've noticed, too, is that this 
um, education of it because which is why I created this podcast because I got tired of hearing the same argument from newspapers and politicians that unhoused people don't want to work they are part of the problem they're mentally ill they're drug addict and I, as I am none of these things um, and then as you probably have listened to my podcast you find that I am no exception there's many unhoused people all over <laughs> Los Angeles have gone all over that has stories and issues that has nothing to do with that trotted out uh, stereotype so how do you think it would be better to educate the public because in order for for us to win uh, the house residents in a way to be less hostile, we need an education program. For example, when the police officers go to schools, they always portray the image of officer friendly, they are giving Christmas toys, but I have never yet have not seen anyone invite in house people to educate the populace or the public on what the issues are and how to help us become and respect our dignity in the community. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting idea, thinking about an education program around um, people who are experiencing homelessness. I think that would be a great way to break down barriers of fear that people have. Um, one of the things we did in the Homeless Coalition that I started, SELA, was that we designed it so that it could absorb a lot of volunteers. And for many people, they would come in, and it would be the first time that they would be speaking to somebody who was experiencing homelessness. And once they were able to see that a person who is living on the street is also a human and that they come fall into homelessness through very human paths and even if they are struggling with addiction or mental illness mm -hmm. you know that that is the case for some people for sure that living on the street is the worst place to be managing addiction it's the worst place to be managing mental illness and so living on the street actually can sometimes exacerbate or worsen those things and and i feel like it was a really important moment for them to be able to speak to speak to people uh, and and to build that understanding. So I'm I think this is an incredibly important thing to do to break down these barriers and to make sure that people understand um, not just that not just that you know there are many people among our homeless neighbors who don't have mental illness and don't want to you know want to work and uh, are just kind of at loose ends or don't have access to resources but also to acknowledge that anyone, whatever situation they may be in, just to acknowledge their humanity um, and to realize that there is a way to respond to the situation that acknowledges their humanity as well. I certainly agree. And, and it's also, I want to point out, too, one of the things that I've noticed is missing and I've come across is the unhoused people that have families and children that go to school um, because of our, our our politicians who state family first or mm -hmm. the worthy poor or the wor worthy working poor and the mantra that they are deserving of services and then you have unhoused people and children that's in your midst, um, they are absorbing those messages as well. I want to take a step back, like four years ago I was stabbed uh, out of the park over here and I was in ICU for a couple of, year, uh, a couple of months and I had, at one point, they were going to release me, but my wounds were so uh, great. They had me try to go to, out into the elements to clean my own wounds twice a day. Oh and yes, <laughs> this is, but this is a reality that unhoused people have because there is no necessary adequate service unless, fortunately, I'm, I'm educated enough to advocate in a way to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but there is a lot of unhoused people that I've interviewed, like the gentleman that had his leg broken in four places. When the police come to sweep his uh, 
encampment because of Nuri Martinez's law and order stance, he has to crawl on the ground to take his tent down. Mm -hmm. And that's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. But the, you were basically allowing that to uh, be the part and parcel of how you treat unhoused people. Right. So on the cusp of that, the question I wanted to say is what creative ideas you have in getting unhoused people housed? What do you think would be a good launch pad for that? Well, so I think as a first step, we can change the way in which we are responding to people who are experiencing homelessness right now. In most neighborhoods in Los Angeles, as I mentioned earlier, there is no place for people to be able to access the services that they need. One of the things I talk about in my housing and homelessness policy is to create a network of community access centers or drop-in centers mm -hmm. where outreach workers, mental health case workers, social workers could be housed, where those individuals would be encouraged to get to know everybody experiencing homelessness in that neighborhood and that individuals who are working on these issues and people who are experiencing homelessness can build up relationships of trust. Mm -hmm. And over a, a period of time... Oh, please. Oh, that's okay, is it? Yeah, it's going to record. Okay. Yeah, and to over time to make sure that people are actually able to continue their, um, or, or, or get the paperwork that they need to make sure that they're filling out the forms and, and, and moving along the, the path to, to getting housed, which can be months long, sometimes years. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is an essential change. And I think in the, in the meantime, while we're waiting for shelter beds, while we're waiting for housing to come online, the reality is that we have a number of encampments that are on the street right now. And I think our city could be doing a lot more to make sure that we're sharing space in more effective ways. Um, doing cleanups that are not punitive, but that actually make spaces hygienic for all residents, housed and unhoused, who are using those spaces. Um, making sure si that sidewalks are accessible for everyone who wants to use them, not just for um, unhoused neighbors, but but making sure that we're sharing that space in respectful ways. I think one thing that we could do in neighborhoods would be to provide storage spaces um, where people could store their things. Like currently in the city of LA, there's only one place where you can store things. That's in 7th and Town, um, which is very far from most parts of the city. It's really only close to Skid Row. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in Echo Park, if or you're Chatsworth. in- there's one Chatsworth. No. Yeah, or Chatsworth. Yeah, Chatsworth, the gentleman had his things and, and he's disabled. How that, is he gonna come I get that, I get that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so if you want tents to be away during the day, mm -hmm. if you want stuff, you know, belongings to be out of the way during the day, or if you don't want too many belongings in, the, in one place, I think you, in, in the reality of Los Angeles today, where there's 30, almost 37,000 people experiencing homelessness mm -hmm. um, and less than a quarter of the shelter beds that we need, very little of the housing that we need, I think finding ways like having storage spots in every neighborhood um, where people can drop off their things and uh, keep it out of the way during the day and keep it safe, these are important ways in which we can share space as we navigate our way through what is really an unprecedented moment in Los Angeles? You know, it hasn't, we don't, we've never figured this out before. So let's make sure we have the tools to do it in ways that respect the people who are going through it.
In the 1800s, they had a very bad stigma of unhoused people in that period of time. Mm -hmm. And what we have fallen, at my observation from this period of time, we have never really challenged our soul or our consciousness in order to evolve from those behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I would like to see is the 24-hour storage space, mm -hmm. because unhoused people are, because for the example, there are unhoused people that work, mm -hmm. and they leave their things, and then they come back, and based on Nuri's, Nuri Martinez's law and order thing, uh, uh, stance now, they continue to lose it and they start over. So right. they're questioning what's the point of us trying to get out of the situation and the city is coming behind right. and are the hindrance in right. the, whether it's the other way around. Right. One of the things I also want to ask you is there, as a, there are unhoused people that are now recently, that were unhoused and I have housing. Mm -hmm. But the challenge is the new challenge. Um, they're put into a big box of room where there is no bedding, no furniture, uh, and they either are on fixed income and are unable to furnish their things. And I just could not help but see the increase on the police budget keep always getting becoming spiked and asking for more police presence and law and order. Don't you think it would be more feasible to cut some of that money and put in a program that would have when unhoused people are housed to help them get on their feet with the necessary amenities like all of us? Because they can't lug all of this stuff out and obviously in the sidewalk. So how will they get these things? What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we could definitely be creatively thinking about how people can furnish homes once they do get them. Um, there are some groups that have uh, created some interesting programs. PATH had a welcome home program where groups of residents in the neighborhood could actually get together, house residents, and welcome someone who was moving into their home with sheets and paper towels and all of that stuff, and they could put together a wish list. I do think that we could increase our budgets for it, and we could do a better job of making spaces in these programs for volunteers, for companies, for all of these people who are part of LA to actually also get involved in it, for sure. That goes back into the education, because there's a lot of fear and disdain for unhoused people, um, which brings us to the next part. Uh, the number of 311. And for our listeners that are not in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, there is a 311 number that is called, and they have a, if you see something, say something. For example, if you see it in an encampment, many uh, residents, house residents uh, that are fearful will call that number, and it will generate on the list, and then uh, the unified houseless um, response team will dispatch either park rangers, police officers, or law enforcement and sanitation to swoop down on the unhoused and to either remove them, check if they have warrants, or just uh, just basically just take all of their, their belongings. So 311 is used by house residents to activate a confrontational approach. And the council member is quoted as saying, I appreciate LASA coming into crews and developing their relationships. But what we can't leave it up to them to decide whether something is trash or not. Now, I have talked to the unhoused residents, and they've lost medication, IDs, papers, and that got them into services for appointments to get them out of a situation or to move them along into um, being housed. And how are they, like law enforcement and sanitation, better equipped to determine what is valuable that an unhoused person would know that they're going to need? What is your thoughts on that? I do think that the care program um, was a good was a step in the right direction in Los Angeles. 
uh, moving away from a sanitation and LAPD-led model of cleanups and moving towards an outreach worker-led um, version of cleanups, which would be scheduled in advance. And just like when housed residents have regular trash pickup that, a, that a, an unhoused resident will also know when a pickup was happening or when a cleanup was happening, rather than it being in response to a complaint. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not that the city doesn't know where encampments are already. I mean, the city has a very good sense of where all the encampments are. We don't need to wait for complaints from residents to come in to identify where they are, to identify where issues are. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, this goes back to the system, uh, the question that I was talking about earlier, which is, I think we've set up a system where we put housed and unhoused residents in conflict with each other, when in reality we could be working towards a system where we are all working together towards a better future. I don't think anybody would dispute that um, ensuring that people who are experiencing homelessness are able to get into housing is the shared outcome that we all have. Um, and I think that because the city hasn't handled issues around cleanliness, hasn't handled issues around um, sidewalk management very well, we have now been put into conflict with each other. Part of the conflict is what I've noticed, and I've been to some of the uh, encampments, and some of them are very well organized. However, when on how when LASA and the sanitation, well, not going to say LASA, but when sanitation and the police officers come, like, for example, the one I was in in Van Nuys, they left it like a bomb area. I mean, it was a disaster area. And unhoused people, that tr basically traumatized them because they had a system, and you see, once they've done what they wanted to do, they'll leave their belongings in the middle of the street, and they'll just drive off. And then they will have the residents understanding and contacting 311 as saying that's unhoused. And that's many times are not the case. No unhoused person walks around with a big refrigerator and puts it out because they have no place to put them. Mm -hmm. Or they'll see big cabinets and things. Unhoused people don't have a house, so we're not going to be having this stuff. Um, for the most part, in a, in a large sense, like we're not the part of the issue. Um, I think there's been a lot more illegal dumping yes. in Los Angeles. Because the city hasn't cleaned up around encampments as well as they need to be, then businesses take advantage of that mess and then illegally dump in those areas. And, you know, because they can get away with it. And, and use I, it to blame use, on how Yes, people. exactly. That's the point. <laughs> and again, this is the situation where we're pitted against each other, and we don't need to be. Um, I think everyone shares the same outcomes, ultimately, and I, I think if we have, uh, I think if we are able to reshape the system so that it's actually designed to help people as quickly as possible, then we wouldn't have the situation that we have today. Well, and, and Councilmember Paul Koretz has a different exp explanation. He says, I don't know if we're concerned about the outreach element. This is his words, but if our primary mission is to create a strong sanitation program, okay. it has to take a somewhat of a back seat. After getting rid of care, care only lasted four weeks. It is these thought processes that have emboldened police, business improvement district security against unhoused people. Don't you think it's time to abolish 311, or do we can we do something a little bit different than using that number to launch ourselves out at unhoused people? Yeah, I mean, I think 311 covers a range of issues, um, and so I think it's you know it's it's a good tool for reporting for you know like if you have a tree down or if you have, but in terms of responding to um, cleanups at encampments, I really do think that a proactive, pre-scheduled regular 
um, cleanup system would would be much better. And I thought the care program was a good it was a step in the right direction. And I'm and I'm really disappointed that they didn't give it a chance to succeed. I feel like we need to give it a little bit of a chance to succeed before we dismantle it already. I totally agree, but unfortunately, uh, council member. Member President Nuri Martinez has the law and order approach, and she did not want this to take place anyway. She was against it from the start. So there are unhoused people who rely on living in their vehicles, and this is for the ones that asked me to ask this, but they are criminalized in rainy, cold weather and uh, just basically trying to survive harsh, inclement weather. Uh, do you have any ideas how to rescind the ban that they have now for people that are trying to live in their vehicles? Because sometimes it's the only way that they can get shelter. I mean, I think the I think the ban is actually expired right now. Eighty five oh two. Oh, really? They extended it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think yes, we absolutely need to think about um, you know rethinking the ban. We have 9,000, an estimated 9,000 people sleeping in their cars in Los Angeles every night, and there are extremely few legal, safe parking spots for them to be able to sleep in. Sleeping in your car is often, um, you know, can be a final step before you end up in a tent. If you lose your car, if you get a ticket, if you can't. Um, uh, you know, if, if you can't make sure that you're making your car payments, I mean, what whatever it is. So it's important, I think, if people are sleeping in their cars, that they're able to, uh, you know, get into a place where they're safe um, and get into a place where they can access the services that they need to get back into housing. Um, safe Parking LA has set up a really good program, uh, but they only have a couple of hundred spots in the city. It's not very expensive. There are parking lots that are owned and operated by the city that are all over the city. There are council members' offices that have parking lots um, where these kinds of programs could get set up. But I think in a situation where it is, where there are no, there are no, there are very few legal parking spaces where people can actually live. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that we're not criminalizing people and giving them absolutely no other options for something that is a function of poverty. It is, it is inhumane. I totally agree. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed, too, is that uh, the 311 is usually used in that respect. And as far as unhoused people, do you think it would be a good idea to have a number where we could have a voice? Because I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, many unhoused voters, like myself, are looking for now for politicians because many times I've noticed uh, the council members do not think of us as residents in the community, and secondly, they don't think of us as voters. And we can't communicate all the time when we have bad information or bad things happen to us by the council members, and we look into this. So what, as an unhoused member that's a voter, what can you help us, uh, what platform would you do for us? Um, well, I think it's incredibly important to have the voices of people who are unhoused um, involved in policymaking to make sure that the systems being put together are actually addressing their needs. Um, I do think that it would be great to have an option for people who are experiencing homelessness to call and get support to address their needs. Uh, 211 is supposed to be that to some extent, but it does not work very well. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be great. That's a really good idea. It's not something I had thought about. Um, but I do think that having someone in an office, in a council office, 
who is a liaison for people experiencing homelessness would be also an incredibly um, positive step. One of the things that we have talked about in our platform is to change council offices. So um, right now, council offices are closed doors. Um, they were just talking about installing bulletproof glass in them. Um, you know, they're, they're spaces where uh, people from the community are not welcomed. And I think there's a way to rethink what those spaces are. Um, I was thinking about having, uh, inviting social workers to um, co-locate in the office uh, about uh, public interest lawyers who can help people who are facing eviction so that you don't, if you're facing an eviction, that you don't fall into homelessness. Um, into And in, inviting them into the office and inviting them to have a desk there and work out of these offices. Uh, and holding office hours regularly. And so that when residents, any kind of resident experiencing vulnerability in the neighborhood would feel like the council office is a resource that they can turn to, that it's a place where they know that they'll be welcomed and where their concerns will be heard. And I think this can be anybody, even if, if it's an older resident who just wants to have a cup of coffee and talk to a neighbor, they would be welcomed, housed or unhoused, you know? And I think there is a way to rethink how we think about the space of a city council office um, and make sure that it's the kind of space that welcomes and that that empowers residents um, instead of the way that uh, it is now where we're closed off from residents and uh, district offices are hidden and things like that. So yeah, I, I, but I think a number would also be a great addition to that, that really works. I thank you for your time. I also I want to uh, invite you again if you have the time. And uh, congratulations on hopefully on uh, your elect your election. Thank you. And I have get my fingers crossed. And this is Theo Henderson from William House. And I was in the studios with Nithya Raman. And I thank you all for listening. May we again meet in the light of understanding. These episodes do not occur in a vacuum. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of support from our listeners, and I get a thrill when I hear people from reporters, uh, fans, and other people who just introduced to my podcast thank me and enjoy the stories and learn something from it. But this doesn't happen alone. I have had a lot of good support, and I want to extend some special thank yous. I want to begin with Jet Perriott, who works with me on Street Watch, and I also want to extend a thank you to our new editor, Carlos Nieto III. I also want to thank Zen and Mario, Craig Wong of CCD, Annie Shaw. I want to also, because they, uh, during some inclement times being unhoused, they were kind enough, graciously enough, allowed me to get lodging when it was a very cold spell. I also want to thank uh, some of the members of CCD, like Tito, Jasmine, um, if I forget your last name, please forgive me. And I also want to thank uh, some of the community members that have helped supported me. Uh, Rocio Haran, Rosa Trinado, Donald Hamby, Fred Lee, Ricardo Huerto. I also want to thank some of the parents um, that has been in my corner, like uh, Irina Vegas, Stephanie Wong. And if you like these episodes and you want them to keep, continue to be sent out to you, please like and subscribe my page on SoundCloud. And if you would like to donate in order for things to expand and get much better, you can go to my PayPal, which is Theo Henderson, or Theodore Henderson PayPal. I will send the link. If you go on SoundCloud, it will be posted on there as well. Thank you again.